Hi, folks. It's Rabbi Sharon Brous here. You are listening to Ikar's podcast, where you can hear our sermons from Shabbat and holidays, our guest speakers, our teachers, anything we think worth listening to that we can capture, you can hear right here. Thank you so much for being with us. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. I want to speak this morning to a very powerful, very old Jewish idea. Yerida Litzorech Aliyah, the idea that descent comes in the service of ascent. It's a spiritual idea. It's an idea that many Hasidic teachers like Dega Machne Ephraim have taught that the experience of darkness and alienation is somehow itself a fuel for our desire to return. Yerida Litzorech Aliyah, we go down in the service of ultimately are coming back up. And I want to say that it's descriptive. It's not prescriptive. It's not a justification for suffering, but it is some kind of recognition that as painful as things are, today's struggle will only make tomorrow's redemption sweeter. And if we pay attention to the literary thrust of the Torah, we see that the Torah essentially progresses along this trajectory. The Torah, of course, begins in the Garden of Eden, Gan Eden. This is a place of utter perfection, empty of any kind of suffering or longing or loss. But then very quickly from the height of that physical and spiritual fulfillment, the book of Genesis quickly becomes a narrative of descent and exile and punishment and devastation, stories of conflict between nations, conflict within families. Genesis concludes with our ancestors descending into Egypt, which is set in motion by a series of explicitly descending events. Joseph thrown down into the pit, the brothers sell him down into slavery. He's imprisoned down in Egypt, the famine, leads the brothers ultimately to follow him there seeking food. They all ultimately relocate to Egypt. And at the end of the day, the book of Genesis, which began at the height of intimacy with God in the garden, ends with Joseph dead in a coffin, sunk to the bottom of the Nile in Egypt. All of this descent we know sets the context for the drama of the first few books the first few verses of the book of Exodus, which we read this Shabbat. When the people are brought even lower by a Pharaoh who doesn't recognize them, who feels only threatened by them, whose craven need for absolute power leads to hundreds of years of torture and enslavement of our people, the Israelite people. But of course, our story does not end there. Generations of debasement and cruelty are granted only a few sparse lines in the text that we read this week, before the birth of the redemption begins. From the dark night of slavery, degradation, humiliation, ours becomes a story of resistance, of people rediscovering their agency, rising up against tyranny. It's a story of miracles, of plagues and wonders, a redemption story that culminates in a renewed covenant between God and the people. And this story arc, this Yerida Letzorech Aliyah is embedded into our spiritual practice. It stands at the heart of Jewish theology. Yerida Letzorech Aliyah, remember that through suffering, redemption will come. Or 
in the language of the psalmist, lifted up by our friend, Reverend Raphael Warnock, the pastor of Ebenezer Baptist Church this week, once it had become abundantly clear that he had just been elected the first ever black senator from Georgia, joy comes in the morning. The full verse from Psalm 30 verse six makes it clear exactly why that joyous morning is so holy and so welcome. Ba'erev yalin bechi, ulaboker rina. We may lie down weeping in the night, but joy comes in the morning. Out of your oppression, redemption will come. From your tears, laughter will come. From your sorrow, new life will be born, new love, new blessing. When I woke up on Wednesday morning this week, it took the full force of my will to resist immediately opening up my phone to see what had unfolded in the, in the six hours since we went to sleep. And instead, I just lay in bed with my eyes closed and I held Raphael's words from the night before in my heart. And I smiled because it appeared that a black preacher and a Jewish filmmaker journalist were poised to head to the US Senate after a powerful multiracial, multi-faith force revealed what's possible. When we overcome the forces that are committed to turning us against one another and instead lead together with our shared values, joy comes in the morning indeed. It was only a few hours later that a violent insurrection began at the Capitol building incited by the president and designed to wreak havoc and disrupt the certification process that would cement President-elect Joe Biden's win. And as that coup attempt unfolded, it became achingly clear to me that the joyous morning, hard won as it was, was not yet with us. This week, as we read Parshat Shemot, we are standing at the inflection point between the death spiral, the weeping night of Genesis, down and down and down and down we go and the promised redemption, the joyous morning of Exodus. And our nation also stands between a bitter end and the promise of a new redemptive beginning. So the question for us this morning is what is required of us to transform the Yerida into an Aliyah, the downward spiral into a redemptive ascent, this, the weeping night into a joyous morning. After four little girls were murdered in the 16th Street Baptist Church in Birmingham, Alabama, Dr. King said, we must be concerned not merely about who murdered them, but about the system, the way of life, the philosophy which produced the murder. The fire that is burning in America in this moment was fueled by a tyrant a person who's used every moment of his public stage starting years before he entered public office, fueling racist conspiracies and promoting his uniquely awful brand of brazen criminality and toxic masculinity. And Egypt also was under the ill-fated leadership of a narcissist, a man hungry for power, whose trajectory and character hewed so closely to that of our president that shortly after the inauguration, several of my rabbinic colleagues were told that they were not to mention the word Pharaoh because that would appear to be an implicit critique of the new president of the United States. But our Torah 
is clear that as bad as Pharaoh was, he was not alone. He walked with a band of taskmasters to his right, to his left, before him and behind him. And it wasn't only Pharaoh and the taskmasters, but the Egyptian people themselves who were brought into Pharaoh's evil designs against the Israelites and became over time complicit in the Israelite enslavement and even in the murder of the firstborn baby boys. Why did Pharaoh enlist all of these forces for his will? Because he wanted to ensure that there was no Egyptian without blood on his hands. Just as Egypt was not about one man, neither is America. And the deeper question that we need to ask at the end of a brutal and bloody week is what is the system, the way of life, the philosophy that produced the fire that burns in America today? Who is responsible? And I will not minimize the responsibility of the president or the vice president, the cabinet, and all of the craven enablers in the Senate and the House who over the last four years have handed over the reins of our fragile democracy to a man hell-bent on destroying it all for his own personal profit. Nor will I minimize the responsibility of those who so brazenly filled the halls of Congress this week with violence and broken glass. Surely every one of them must be held accountable. But their culpability is shared much more broadly by many more people. Because what we saw this week was the natural result of generations of heresy bearing down on our nation's soul. From before our nation's founding, its mythology was being furiously crafted. For generations, children in this country have been fed a diet of racist lies, raised on the heresy that God loves them more than their neighbors, taught that they would be diminished in a more just, equitable, compassionate America. Millions of people have become intoxicated by the lie of white supremacy, a spiritual cancer that has metastasized at the heart of our nation, a morally bankrupt politics that claims that patriotism requires the suppression, the criminalization, and the dehumanization of fellow citizens. And that heresy, the lie of white supremacy and the capitalist system that is built to sustain it. That is so much a part of the system of the water that we drink in America, that the culpability for this disastrous moment reaches far into the population, just as the culpability for what happened to the Israelites in Mitzrayim reached far beyond Pharaoh and the taskmasters. So who is responsible? Every person who stood silently by as these lies festered and this violence was fueled over these past many years. All of those who demurred when children were torn out of their parents' arms at the border. All of those who talked about law and order when Black Lives Matter protesters were tear gassed and beaten and brutalized. All of those who engaged in homiletical acrobatics to muddy the waters when we were told that there were fine people on both sides and one of those sides was the side of the Nazis. All of those people who shrugged when terrorists stormed the state house in Michigan, plotting to kidnap and execute the governor. Those who said again and again, I don't like what he says, but I like what he does. 
those who ignored his overt embrace of white nationalists because, well, he's good for Israel. Oh, and taxes. Don't forget about taxes. Those who justified, excused, obfuscated, and pointed fingers at everyone but the architects of the machinery of fear and division that is breaking our nation, leaving the most vulnerable among us to stand alone on the front lines defending their lives and our democracy. Yesterday, I read that Politico reported that off-duty officers and members of the military were among the rioters. They were flashing their badges and their ID cards as they overran the Capitol building. If these people can storm the Capitol building with no regard to punishment, one Metro DC police officer wrote, then you have to wonder how much they abuse their power when they put on their uniforms. We cannot underestimate the weight of these images that Rabbi LaBelle spoke about earlier. Rioters and insurrectionists, white supremacists holding Confederate and Nazi flags, bearing t-shirts that screamed 6MWE. Did you see that? It means six million wasn't enough. And Camp Auschwitz, the people who planted a noose on the Capitol lawn, who breached sacred ground with impunity this week. Several friends of mine, black leaders of the protests in Ferguson have been speaking now about the body blow that was inflicted by these images this week by the abundantly clear messaging that as Reverend Jackie Lewis put it so perfectly, I'm so damn tired of living in a country that treats black grief as a threat and white rage as a sacrament. The responsibility here is vast, but because we stand at this inflection point, because I so desperately want for us to emerge from the weepy night into the morning, because I so believe that we are on the cusp of this Yurida transforming into an Aliyah, this moment of descent becoming a moment of redemptive possibilities, we have to be honest. In Shemot, in this week's Torah portion, the beginning of the book of Exodus, the transformation, from darkness to light, from enslavement to liberation, is one that takes hold in the hearts of every person, it has to before it can transform the society. From Moses, where we see the emergence of a leader who had to grow and change and see what he couldn't see before, to God, who had to learn how to hear the cries of the people and take them seriously, to the Israelite people themselves, who had suffered for so long under the weight of oppression that they had to be convinced that this time was different, that the redemption was finally near to even some of those people in Egyptian society. The text is clear that not only Pharaoh, but the people were complicit in the degradation and oppression. And yet, when the Israelites ultimately leave, we learn that an Erev Rav leads, leaves with them a mixed multitude of people. These are Egyptians who shifted alliance from the oppressors to the oppressed. They understood that none of us is free until all are free. They realize that racial justice is not a marginal issue, but a foundational issue, that you can't have a just society until all people are lifted up as images of the divine, treated with dignity and with love. And when they made that shift in heart and mind, they were embraced by Moses and by the Israelite people, and they joined in that march toward freedom. 
we cannot treat what happened in America this week as a dangerous anomaly, simply hoping that the new administration will move us into a chapter of healing. A new dawn will never emerge for us until we eradicate the pernicious forces that normalize this toxicity over generations and allowed it to erupt this week the way that it did. There is no shortcut here. It's not only the recklessness, the fecklessness, the shocking criminality of the few that got us to where we are. Silence and complicity are among the deadliest of sins. And I have said this many times before and say it again today. We all have a choice to make. Either we work to dismantle oppressive systems or our inaction becomes the mortar that sustains them. I still believe with all of my heart that joy will come in the morning. We were cheated out of celebration this week. The news from Georgia is no bottom right-hand corner news. And yet clearly we are not fully ready to enter this moment with all of its promise. In order to transform the weepy night into a joyous morning, in order to bring forward the new dawn, we are gonna have to be honest with ourselves and with each other. We're gonna have to be reflective. We're gonna have to be visionary and steadfast and principled and loving and fair. Our rabbis taught in the Midrash that the deepest darkness is the moment just before the dawn. The Aliyah is predicated on a Yerida. I know that the contours of the joyous morning that we all yearn for will be shaped by our imagination, by our courage, by our willingness to dream bold dreams from within the weepy night. And so I look at this past week as a week of incredible pain, but also a week in which the veil has been lifted. This is not the end. This is a new beginning. May it be a new beginning that we reach with blessing, with hearts wide open to the work that all of us need to do in the days ahead. I wish you Shabbat Shalom. Hey everybody, Randy Sklar here. I'm an eCar member. And Jason Sklar here. I'm an eCar fan. Yeah, and we uh, love eCar so much. We love the message that eCar uh, delivers in their many podcasts. And we feel like most people feel there aren't a lot of podcasts in this world. I think there are only two or three. There's only a couple. So what we'd like you to do is donate to eCar. Get eCar-LA.org uh, so that they can do more podcasts and more cool things. Because Lord knows the world needs more podcasts. Yep.